I really am excited to share with you guys. Um, I'm going to be talking a little bit about some of the things that I've gone through in my story and just different things that have been going on in my life, especially right now. And um, I hope that you guys understand um, how much God has changed my life and what he's done through my life. And so I'm not much of a, a public speaker. I'm not type. I mean, a lot of you know that Daniel and I run this uh, great ministry called Erie Young Adults, and where we just help a whole bunch of 20s and 30-somethings understand who God really is in their life. And, you know, we're not the ones up there speaking all the time and trying to be in the limelight. I actually don't like doing that, being in the limelight and being the center of attention. I, I'd, I'd rather just sit down one-on-one -on -one with people and just tell them how awesome God is in their life. And so I'm hoping that today that it's kind of like just us sitting down at the table and we're talking, because that's all it's going to be. And I just want you to, to understand how valuable it is to have God, and that there's actually a plan. There's actually things that he's doing in each one of your lives, whether you realize it or not, whether you even have a relationship with him or not. So the, my talk is called Not Yet, and you'll understand it as I go through and, and talk about it. But I'm going to start off, and I'm going to take you back to 1996. How many remember 1996? You weren't dressed like that, so it was better. Who had a mullet in 96? Why did you have a mullet in 96? That was the 80s. You're one of those guys that just was stuck in the 80s, huh? Who still has a mullet? No one? You won't admit it now. I had a curly mullet at one point. I kind of looked like Karate Kid at one point. But uh, 1996, I got my driver's license. And I was so excited because back then you could just go take the test and you get your license. And two weeks after I got my driver's license, I did something to my parents' car. I got a picture of it here. Yeah, that's two weeks after I got my driver's license. So my kids aren't going to get their license for... A while. Just letting you know that now. Um, me and a, a couple friends were in the car. We were driving pretty fast. It was icy out. And this was actually about 20 years ago at this time. And there I am in the back with crutches. And uh, we're driving down this road and we just start sliding on ice. I'm going like 70 miles per hour, which I shouldn't have been. But my back end just comes out and our whole vehicle went off to the side of the road. We ended up hitting the biggest, baddest mailbox in Erie, Pennsylvania. <laughs> this mailbox, this genius of a man, must have found a telephone pole laying around, cut it up into pieces about this high off the ground, about three foot high pieces, and there was like 18 of them around a mailbox. And that's the mailbox I hit. <laughs> I was driving. Literally hit this thing so hard, it lifted the car in the air, it did a 180 and landed in the middle of the road. My two friends that were in the car, they were okay. They started crawling out the window and wanted to go get help. So they went to the nearest house to try to help because the car was smoking and I was stuck in the vehicle. You can't really see the, the driver's side door there because that door was wrapped around my left leg completely and I was trapped. I couldn't get out. The car's smoking. I'm sitting there going, I, I need to get out of here. I need to do something here. I just couldn't get out, couldn't get out. Well, the paramedics come, the fire trucks and everyone come, and they use the jaws of life to rip me out of that car. And uh, 
I go to the hospital, and they thought all these things were going to be broken on me and everything, and just come to find out I had a bruised foot after all of that. But the, I'll never forget this. The fire marshal came up to me, and he said, Adam, I, won't, I usually don't tell people this, but if you were wearing a seatbelt, you would have been dead. He said to me that if I would have been wearing a seatbelt, because if you would have seen the, the seat in there, the driver's side seat, you know, normal seat is about this wide. It was squished down to this. He said, you would have been trapped in that seat and it probably would have killed you with the impact. He also said, if your leg didn't get stuck in the door, you would have flew out the side window and probably broke your neck. He said, you should have been dead. But God said, not yet. And that's what I believe, that something was protecting me that day because I should have been dead. And all I did was walk out with a couple crutches and a bruised foot. And God said, not yet, because there was more to be done. Let me fast forward a little bit into this story. A few years later, I was kind of a wild kid. I didn't grow up in church. There's some pictures of me there. If you can kind of see my hair, it's kind of hard to see, but I actually have dreads there. Yeah, a little different than the 60s and 70s, but my hair was all crazy. I was in the drugs, alcohol, the juvenile system. I mean, I, I went through everything of the juvenile system. Uh, Abraxas boot camp I had to go to. I had to go to Edmund L. Thomas here in town three different times. Perseus House. I mean, I was just a wreck. I was all over the place. Major drugs, completely addicted. I was always partying. Dropped out of high school because I sold drugs. That was my life. I didn't really care. That's just kind of how I lived it. Uh, that's about the time where I met Danielle, and we kind of did that together, believe it or not. We both dropped out of high school. We, both, we got an apartment at the age of... 18 and 15, and when you're the only ones in high school that has your own apartment, where do you think everybody hangs out with after school at our place? Well, during these drug deals and everything, um, there was one of them that kind of stands out more than the others. In this situation, it was kind of a drug deal that went bad. A guy came in and exchanged the drugs and everything and the money and he came up to me and he goes, Adam, where's my money? I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, I know you stole my money. I'm like, I didn't steal your money. So he backs me up against this wall and he pulls out a gun and he points it to my chest. And I said, listen, this is how dumb I am. I'm like, if you have the cojones to pull out a gun, why don't you go ahead and pull the trigger? This is, I mean, this is how reckless I was. I didn't care about my life. I didn't care if this guy was gonna shoot me. So he cocks the gun back and puts it right on my forehead. And I remember feeling this barrel touching my forehead. And he looked right at me and he was mad. And he's got this gun right against my forehead. <laughs> the gun goes off right on my face. It literally felt like my face just got ripped off and went against the wall. I remember dropping down to my knees 
And I'm trying to feel my face, but it was so numb from the impact that I couldn't really feel it. I couldn't really see because of the flash kind of blinded me a little bit. My ears are pinging because a gun just went off right in front of my face. But I didn't have a scratch on me. He shot me. He knew he shot me. He wanted to shoot me. Finding out later about this guy, he'd been shot eight times in his life, eight different times, and survived. He shot at people before. This is a guy who doesn't care to kill people. He shot me. My brother was there and a couple friends, and they were telling him to get out. And He's looking at me kind of in shock because he knows he just shot me and there wasn't anything on me. The bullet actually went through the wall, went through another set of walls into the tile. It was sticking in the tile of a tub in the bathroom. I should have been dead right then. I didn't move. He didn't move the gun. Should have been dead. But God said not yet. Something moved me. Something protected me. God said, not yet. So I'm going to fast forward a little bit, because everybody knows that we do eerie young adults. We do this thing called Turkey Bowl every year, where we get together with a whole bunch of people, and we play some good old backyard football. We rent the lights. We line the field. We get first down markers, we have referees, and we play some good old tackle football right in the week of Thanksgiving. And, um, you know, we have a chili cook-off. I mean, it's just a blast every year. We raise a bunch of money. It's so much fun. It's one of my favorite things to do every single year. Well, there I am playing quarterback there, and I'm running, and this is actually the play where right before I'm about to get tackled. And so I'm just scrambling, and I kind of scrambled up the middle, and a guy came on the side and kind of wrapped me up, and we went down to the ground together, and he didn't tackle me that hard, but once I got up, I felt like something was wrong on my left side. I was like, oh, I just kind of was like, oh, that doesn't feel right. So I got back in the huddle, and I said, okay, I can't run, so we just hand the ball off, and right when I hand the ball off on the next play, I knew it right then, like something feels like it's, I can't walk. So I just hobbled off and kind of collapsed on the sideline. And uh, Danielle went ahead, and after a little bit, back and forth, she said, all right, I'm calling the ambulance. The ambulance came, put me on a stretcher, took me out of there. And this is just this last Thanksgiving. And take me into the emergency room, throw me into a CAT scan right away. They come in, and they say, Adam, you've lacerated your kidney. I'm like, oh, great. I'm like, ah. Then the next person comes in about an hour later with a nurse, and they kind of sit down in front of me and Danielle, and they're just like, all right, we need to tell you something. And I'm like, oh, okay. I just kind of, you just, he's getting that feeling like there's something that they're about to tell you that's going to alter your life. And they're looking at you all concerned. And they said to me, they said, Adam, you have a, a tumor the size of a softball connected to your kidney. I actually have a picture there. If you can see, that part that's white there to the left, that's my right side kidney. The other side with that big mass, that's the tumor. That right there. 
That's the tumor. You can't even see my kidney because that's what's on top of my kidney. I never even knew it was there. I knew I had a little bit of a pasta belly going, but I didn't know it was that. Gosh. So we had fun with it. I mean, we named it Wilson. You remember seeing Castaway? So we called it Wilson because it was fun. But that's what he tells me. I got a softball-sized tumor on my kidney for the last couple years. I'm like, huh. And I said, all right. I was like, okay. What do we got to do? Let's just get that thing out of here. And they're like, okay. I'm like, yeah. Let's do whatever we got to do to get the thing out. Let's move on. So they left. I turned to Danielle and I said, let's pray. Because that's all I could do in the moment. And I wasn't praying for this miraculous healing or anything. All I prayed is that God was going to be in control. And we just sat there and prayed together that whatever was going to happen, that he'd be in control. And that's how we started this new adventure, with prayer. So a week later, on December 1st, we go ahead and they have surgery. And right before the surgery, they said to me, they said, Adam... After surgery, there's two different ways we can control the pain for you, and it's up to you. Either, number one, we can give you a, a, uh, a little button that gives you like a pain pump. So every time you feel pain after the surgery, you can just hit the button and, you know, it'll relieve the pain with, with narcotics. Or the second option is to get an epidural. And some of you don't know what an epidural is. Some women get it before they have birth, and um, it kind of, they put a needle in your back, and, you know, they numb you pretty much from the the waist down, um, and so that way you won't feel the pain. And I said to them, well, what do you recommend? And they said, the epidural all the way. It's the best thing. We can control the pain, and it'll be great for you. I said, okay, if you say epidural, let's do it. So they go ahead, put that epidural in, do the surgery, three, four hours or whatever it took. Um, they said everything turned out great in the surgery. They actually told my parents that when they pulled out the mass, that it was the size of a football. That's how big, between the kidney and the tumor, is the size of a football. So they pull that out. I go to that night. They put me back in the room. I'm in there with Danielle. and I wake up about midnight that night. And instantly, I knew there was something wrong. I could start to feel some pain. And it just started getting worse and worse. Come to find out the epidural didn't work. I'm literally sitting there clenched up because of all the shocking pain. They just did the surgery there, cutting through tissues, ripping out that mass, all this stuff. And I could feel everything after the surgery. At that point, I'm clenched up, screaming from the top of my lungs in pain. I mean, it was unbearable pain. I've never felt like anything like that in my life. Danielle's out getting nurses. They're running in there. And they can't give me anything because I have an epidural in my back. So you can't add anything to that. So the nurses are like, we can't do anything right now. We're, we're on the phone. We're trying to call the doctors. They're going to come in and take out this epidural and give you some narcotics. One, two, three in the morning rolls by. I'm still clenched up screaming. I'm yelling at the top of my lungs. 
At this point, I'm like, God, you need to show up right now. I need you. This hurts. I know you can heal me right now. Just put me out of my misery. Put me to sleep. Whatever you want to do, I'm in pain. That whole hospital heard me talking to God that night. (laughs) I'm telling you. I got angry at God, actually. I started, I'm telling Danielle, and I'm in tears. Like, where is he? I'm like, God, I've given you my everything. You can give me something right now, please. Doctors didn't come in until 7 in the morning. From 12 o'clock at night to 7 in the morning, I'm screaming in the hospital. Seven hours of me clenched up, shaking, going in shock of pain. They couldn't do anything. The doctor comes in and rolling in at 7 o'clock in the morning with his Starbucks. Says, I'm sorry, Adam, but the epidural didn't seem like it worked. I'm like, you're sorry? I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm like, you promised me this thing was going to work. So he pulled that out, injected me with all kinds of narcotics, and I was just out cold for a day as I was exhausted. Well, because I was out cold, everything down here started to fall asleep. They call it like an illus, I think. I think that's the right medical term. And I couldn't, I know it's kind of disgusting, but I couldn't pass gas anymore. And so when you can't relieve gas, everything starts to build up in there and everything starts to come out this way. So then the adventure of throwing up started. And after you have surgery, you've been cut open and everything, and you're hurting down here. After last night of seven hours, the last thing I need to do is to start doing that. For two days straight, everything kept coming this way. And I had nothing in me, no food, no water. So it was just, it was terrible. For two days straight, excruciating pain. And I'm praying to God. I'm like, where are you, man? I need you. And he didn't show up. And I'm like, wow. I kept going to Dan. I'm in tears going, where is he? Why isn't he doing anything? Well, then the doctor comes in and says, we need to stick a tube down your throat to get everything out. And I'm like, no. <laughs> I'm a type that if like I have something stuck in my tooth and I try to get back there and get it out, like I'm gagging. The last thing I want you to do is stick a tube down my throat while I'm sitting here. So they do that. It was terrible. They started pulling things out, whatever. And um, I could feel it in the back of my throat, this tube. And, and they said, now you've got to have that in for the next day or two. And I'm like, no. I'm like, I can't do it. So I literally told them to take it out. After an hour, I'm like, get this thing out of here. So they did. They pulled it out. And eventually I was able to start passing gas and start to get on my feet and start walking and start to really get better. And another week goes by and, um, in the hospital, and finally they're like, okay, we can let you go home. So I go home, and, you know, I'm still trying to get on my feet and get strength in my legs, and it wasn't like I had to learn to walk again, but it was so painful, 
that it like felt like I had to. So I'm getting a little bit better, but I kept going, God, where were you? Why didn't you show up? I was crying out to you. You heard me. The whole hospital heard me. Where were you? And I didn't feel anything. So one day I'm, I'm in the shower. And I don't know why God talks to me in the shower sometimes, but that's where he does. And I'm sitting there talking to God, and out of nowhere, I felt him speak to me. And it wasn't like this big voice came out of nowhere, you know. I literally felt him speak to me. And he said, Adam, I knew you could handle that pain. That's what he said to me. I knew you could handle that pain. He also said, I needed you to go through that so that you could understand the depths of pain for people. That's what he said to me. As clear as day. I literally came out of the shower. Danielle was there. She handed me the towel, and I just fell into her crying. I was sobbing. I was so overwhelmed from what he said. I couldn't even tell her what he said at the moment. I was so just emotional and overwhelmed by it all. The depths of people's pain. And I could picture people who are suffering that don't want to live anymore. And they don't want to, each day, it's so much pain just to live because they have so much depression or anxiety and things that are weighing down on them of pain. And now I could understand the depths of that pain, that maybe it wasn't the exact same story or situation, but pain isn't just physical, it's mental. And when you go to that depths of pain, something changes in you. There's something built up inside of you. There's definitely some wisdom and some character that comes out of that. You're able to kind of go through things in life a little differently because you understand the depths of that pain. That altered some things in my life right then. So I'm, I'm trying to read in Scripture. I'm, I'm trying to pray. I'm trying to say, God, okay, what are you talking about here? Why do you want me to understand this depths of pain? Like, what are you doing? And so in James 1, 2 through 4, this Scripture kind of stood out to me. And it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature, complete, and not lacking anything. So number one, it says, consider it pure joy. I don't know about you, but I, I don't find joy out of going through that trial. I don't know if you do, but any kind of trials, it's hard to find joy in that. But if you understood what God is doing in the midst of that trial... I think you would find joy in it. He's saying here that he's producing something. And he's saying, let perseverance finish its work. He's telling us to let that perseverance finish its work because he's doing something. 
I know in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the trial, we're sitting there going, I don't get it. I don't understand. Where are you, God, in this? But he's doing something in us. That's why he said, let perseverance finish its work so that I can make you mature, complete, and not lacking anything. And when we're going through the situations, a lot of us just want to give up. And we just want to quit. Because it gets too hard. You don't want to deal with it anymore. And I get it. But if we understood that he was doing something in us, Maybe that will let us persevere a little bit more. Maybe that will help us get through the challenge because he's doing something. That's how amazing our God is. He's doing something in each one of us. Individually, he's doing something in you. That blows my mind that he can do that in each one of us. The next scripture says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under the trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. I love that. Have stood the test. I don't know about you, but things that happen in your life, to be able to kind of go through these things And when you understand that there's going to be some kind of test in your life, there's going to be situations you need to be prepared for. I get excited about it because I'm like, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get through it. I'm not going to quit. And I'm going to stand on his word and just believe and trust in him. And I'm going to stand during this test. And when I stood through it, nobody could ever take that away from you. When you've achieved something and you've gone through something, you understand that more than anybody else. That was for you. And when you're able to get through the odds against you, you come out a whole new person, a whole new creature. That's what started to transpire in my life. I started taking little steps each day because I told you I was drop out of high, I dropped out of high school, addicted to drugs and alcohol. There was no way that my life was going down a path that was going to be anything that was going to work out good. I was 21 years old. I was getting in a car with a group of people, wasn't saved yet. We were leaving the driveway to go to this function. When we pulled out of the driveway, a squad car pulled up behind me. So we couldn't leave. Comes up to the car and said, are you Adam Frano? And I said, yes. He says, you need to get out of the car. He puts me in handcuffs. And I said, sir, I said, I know you don't know me. But I beg you, I said, I I promise you, I'm trying to change my life. I said, please don't take me in. He's like, Adam, I have a warrant for your arrest. I have to take you in. I said, please don't. I said, I'm I'm really, where I'm going to this function, it's around a bunch of good people. 
They're, they're trying to help me change my life. I'm trying to change everything I'm doing in my life. And I'm trying to convince this cop to not take me in. And he looked at me, I swear, with tears billing, billing in his eyes. He says, I don't know why, but I believe you. He undid my handcuffs, and he let me go to that function. And at that function, on a Sunday morning, they had a big non-denominational church service there. And I went down front and got saved at that function when I was 21. That cop is sitting in this room. That's Jim Finn. Stand up, Jim. Stand up. You got to. I know you don't want to. He let me go. Thank you. He showed me grace when I didn't deserve it. He probably could have lost his job for doing that. I don't know if he's ever done that before. He was supposed to take me in. He was not supposed to let me go. But if he didn't let me go and do what God was telling him in that moment, I wouldn't have gone and got saved. Thank you, Jim, for showing me grace. Thank you. I'm going to skip to Romans 12.2. It says, Do not conform to, this, to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Then you will know, then you will, will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This world is crazy. I was stuck in this world for so long. And it was people like that and other people in my life that started to change things. And I started to realize that when I was in this pattern of this world and I started to conform to it and I started to just walk in that fog that I was just walking in circles, not really getting anywhere. I mean, the world is the definition of insanity. It literally is a place where we just keep expecting it to change. Expecting a different result. But I realize once I start trusting in his word, and I started allowing God to transform my life and start to change things in my walk, that's when everything changed in my life. Because I said, I want you, Lord. I want to do, I'm, I don't care. I'm tired of what I was trying to do. I just want all of you. If you are this good, if you, this is the truth, I'll just believe in all of it. I'm not even going to question this. I got around people who are like, well, I believe this part, but I don't know about that part, what he says here. Or I read this, but I read it a little differently because it says this and this. And I'm like, I'm not going to fall to that. I'm just going to believe what he says and trust everything. 
Because what else I got to lose? I already screwed up everything else. I was tired of being a part of this world. I wanted something different. And I want to know what God's will was for my life. And the only way I started hearing what he was doing and why he was doing it was when I started to renew my mind and change my thinking. And I had to do that every day. I still do to this day. I have to renew my mind and the way I think. Because this world is a crazy place that's trying to just keep us in this fog, circling around and around. So the world, right? They tell you different things. So about a month goes by after the surgery, and I heal up, and I got to go in and get a PET scan and get checked out to make sure everything's good inside here. And after the PET scan, they sat me down. They gave me that look again. I knew there was something wrong. They said, Adam, sorry to tell you this, but in the spot where the tumor was removed, the cancer's already starting to grow back. Not only that, it's moved over to your bladder. It's up in your lymph nodes. I was like, okay. And I'm thinking, all right, well, now we got to do some kind of radiation or chemo or some kind of treatment. But what he said next to me, I wasn't prepared for. I don't think, I don't care how much of a believer you are and how much faith you have, but when the doctor sits down and goes, no, Adam, you don't understand. There's no cure for your type of cancer. He told me and my wife that you have about seven to eight years to live, is what he said to me at that moment. I don't know about you, but when somebody tells you you got a life sentence, it kind of kind of shocked, kind of thrown back. I was like, oh, okay. I, I didn't know what to do at that moment. We called up Pastor Jack and Pam, and we said, can we get together with you and just sit down and talk? And we sat in the living room and told them, and we just cried together, and we prayed. I couldn't pray at all. Every time I tried to pray, I, I, could, I didn't know what to say to God. I mean, what do you say? So all I did was call up friends. I reached out to my church family, and I said, listen, I can't pray. I need you to stand in the gap for me because I can't do this right now. Maybe I will be tomorrow, but I can't do it today. I need your help. A week goes by. He says, listen, Adam, we got to send you out to the Cleveland Clinic. we got a man out there who's the best of the world for kidney cancer. And he'll be able to handle your case from here on out. So we drive out there and Dr. Rini and sit down with him. And amazing man. He goes, he goes and looks at it. Does a little bit of testing out there. And he looks at it and he goes, Adam, I know he told you seven, eight years. But now it's two to three. So we just went from this to this. He's like, let's do a biopsy. Let's get in there. 
Let's take a piece of this cancer. Let's test it and see what we're up against and see if there's anything we can do. So that, that following week, they stick a needle in my stomach, pull out a piece of the cancer. They test it. They bring, bring me back in a couple days later. And once again, they give me the look. And they said, Adam, this is growing pretty quick, pretty aggressive. It's grown pretty big on your right side. It's even up in your lungs now. Danielle goes, so what, what are you saying? You got a matter of months, is what he said. So in two weeks, we went from seven to eight years to two to three years to months. That's been our life this last month. It's just been going back and forth to Cleveland Clinic, back and forth, getting thrown in different machines, getting blood tests, and all over the place. But I'm going to tell you right now, I had no idea how we would get through this or anybody else would get through this without a church family. You guys in this room have showed us so much love I've preached on community before. I've talked to people about you needing a church family or you need support around you. But now I understand what that means. Because I've always been a part of helping the people, never been on the other part receiving. And I've seen this entire church step up where we couldn't as a family. I'm telling you, as a man, that's tough sometimes because I've always provided for my family the best I could. I've owned my own plumbing business. But when you can't work, you can't bring in income. And your church family, and not only this family, but churches all over the city that I've never even been in have been sending out prayer, encouragement, gift baskets, gift cards, checks from all over. from Cleveland to New York, all over Facebook. I mean, I've felt every single one of your prayers, especially when I couldn't pray. I thank you guys from the bottom of my heart. And I hope if you're sitting in here that you understand the value of community. I hope that you get that people in this body aren't going to be perfect, but who cares? Get over that stuff. Because a true body will step up when you can't. We're supposed to take care of each other. We're supposed to love our neighbors as ourselves. But we get so caught up in this world, we get so caught up in the rat race and just running around in circles that we forget about each other we forget about God and his word. And we get lost real quick. So what do you tell your kids? I got four awesome kids. 13, 11, 10, and 5. So this is what I'm telling my kids. 
I told them, I love you. I said, listen. I know God can heal me. I know he can. I know it. I've seen him heal people before. I know he can. But I also know people have a time that they're supposed to go. And I've lived my life to the fullest for him. I've given him my everything. So that if it is my time, daddy's going to be okay. So we can praise God if I'm healed, but we're also going to praise God if I'm not because I'm going to be with God, and it's going to be okay. I'm telling you, I'm okay with it. Some of you may not understand that or think, well, he's speaking death, and he shouldn't be speaking this. We've been through situations with families where everybody in the church, everyone said, no, we're standing on his word. He's going to be healed. Nothing less. We're not speaking anything else. We know he's healed. He's healed. He's healed. And the kids are like, yeah, my daddy's going to be healed. And then when there wasn't a healing that took place, those poor kids, we've talked with young adults that have dealt with that. And they still have issues trusting who God is. Because they said, why didn't you heal my dad? Why didn't you heal my mom or my grandma? And I won't do that to my kids. God is too good. I'm not going to allow him to look foolish because everybody said one thing and it didn't happen. And people go, well, where's your God? My God was here the whole time. And I'm at complete peace with that. So... A lot of you are kind of just watching me just kind of go through life and not really change anything. It's because I'm okay with what I was doing. In fact, I absolutely love what I do for a living. And that if it is my time to go, listen to this. I've had an amazing wife and an amazing marriage for almost 15 years. Absolutely amazing. That is such a blessing because a lot of people may not have the chance to have that kind of a marriage. I've been able to raise four amazing kids and see them blossom into who they are today. Some people can't even have children. But I've had the honor of being able to do that. I've had amazing support of family with grandparents and parents and brothers, cousins. I don't know about my cousins, but <laughs> I pick on them all the time. If you run into their boyfriends, just give them a hard time, because I do. But I've had the honor and privilege of having amazing people around me and being a part of a ministry, just seeing God just explode in young adults' lives and blossom to be future leaders of the city or all across the world. 
where some people never get the chance or the opportunity to be a part of those things. You guys, if I were to die tomorrow, I'm going out on top. I'm telling you, I'm going out on top. I'm the happiest I've ever been in my life. So I'm sitting there going, God, whatever you want to do, you want to heal me? Let's do it. If it's my time, okay, let's go. I don't want to leave my kids. I don't want to leave my wife. I don't. I want to be healed. And I'm praying for healing. But I'm also knowing that there is a time for everyone in this room. Every single person. Me and my kids had a conversation on the bed last night. We were just sitting there talking, and they know it. They even said, well, yeah, Dad, some people die when they're two. Some people die when they're 20. Some people die when they're 70. They understand that there's timeline. They get it. I know they want to see Daddy be healed. And I want to be there to watch the rest of their life. But I'm also being realistic, being real with them. And if this is an opportunity for me to find closure with everyone, then so be it. Because some people don't get that chance. My one friend died on a motorcycle. Another friend died in an overdose. We've had 12 different friends of ours since high school die in different situations, car accidents. They never had an opportunity to say goodbye. You've got to look at the blessings in your life and realize how valuable and how awesome life truly is because God is awesome. You need to get out of this world. Stop being conformed to this pattern. Transform that thinking. Renew that mind. Start getting into this stuff. Get around other people that'll help you to take the steps forward. The band can start making their way up here. Last thing I want to leave you with is this statement that I truly believe in because everybody's always looking for the plan. What's God's plan in my life? What, what does he want to do with me? What am I supposed to do, Lord? You're always asking, what is the next step? What is the next plan? And I know that some of you, that's your personality. You need to have a plan laid out. And that's okay, I get it. But in this situation, there is no plan. So what would you do if there's no plan in your life? That's why we must, we must get to a place where we trust God's character more than his plan. Do you hear me? Trust his character more than his plan. Because the plan, a lot of the times, doesn't go exactly how you planned it out. A lot of times, it takes different turns and twists, ups and downs. 
only thing that is solid, the only thing that stays true is his word. It's the only thing that is going to get us through the situations when they hit. When life hits, if you don't have something to stand on, you're going to fall for everything. And you're going to get us stuck. I believe there's a whole room of people in here who can go out and do amazing things in their life. I know a lot of you guys in this room. And I see these amazing things in each one of you that sometimes you don't even see. I don't care how messed up you think you are. This isn't a rule book. This isn't sitting here saying, you have to be this and you need to do this. This is a story of people's stories. Messed up stories like mine of messed up people who God used to do amazing things. You don't have to stand on stage to do amazing things. In fact, Jesus said there's two things you really need to do. And that's love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you could just do those two things, it'll alter and change your, your, your life. I stopped there for a while and concentrated on that. Because if you can't get those two things right, I don't even know why you're trying to get through the rest of this. Love your Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. And love each other. Why don't we just be a church who does that? And we'll, we'll see people blossom out of this room. So through all this, I hope you understand that, that it's, it is well with my soul. And that's kind of what we're going to sing here together. Because I, I want you guys to know that whatever happens in your life, where, what, wherever you go, whatever you're going to go do, that it needs to be well with your soul. I could sing this song proudly without a shadow of my doubt that is well with my situation. And I have a lot of you go, I don't understand how you could get through this without being all upset. Because I renewed my mind every day. How can I not be excited about my life? Did you see my life before? You see it now? It's completely different. It is so good. And if you're sitting in this room and you're like, I don't know how I can get through these situations. I don't know how I can get through life or this darkness that I've dug myself into. You need to start crying out to him and say, how am I going to get out of this thing? Do whatever you want. Have your way with my life. I'm tired of this. Let's do something different.
give your heart to the Lord. Because once it gets in your heart, man, he just unpacks. He sets up shop. And he just goes to work on you. And it's just a roller coaster. So let's, let's stand on our feet right now. Whatever your situation is, whatever you're going through, I want you to give it to him today. And say, that has nothing in my life because you are everything. And I want you to be able to sing this song and say, it is well with my soul. Whatever you want to do, Lord. Because you could lose a job, but you'll still be mature in him. You could lose a family member, and you will still be complete in him. You can get a life sentence. They say you have months to live. And you will not be lacking anything. But it has to be well with your soul. So we're going to sing this together. I love you guys. I appreciate you guys so much. You have no idea. I will continue to fight this. I appreciate your prayers every second of the way. Thank you so much for everything you guys are doing for our family and keeping us lifted up when we're having a hard time walking. I appreciate you guys and love you guys. Thank you.